Today we are continuing our study of the book of Acts. We're going to be covering a big chunk at the end of Acts, so chapters 21 through 28. We will not have time to read through all of that together, but I would encourage you in your personal devotions, as a family, as a life group, to be reading and studying God's Word and digging in and diving deep into that. The book of Acts is situated between the Gospels and then the letters that Paul writes to all the churches. So really, it plays a key role in the canon of Scripture. So the Gospels is the story of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. Those four books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it tells us what the king did when he came to earth, how he finalized and accomplished victory over sin and grave, how he came to establish his kingdom. And then the book of Acts is that transitional book that gives us our commission as his people, that kingdom mission that we are launched on to spread the news of the king in all parts of the world, here in uh, our hometown, in our region, in our nation, and to the ends of the earth. Or as it's put in Acts 1.8, as Jesus gives those last words to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that same commission is given to us to go and be salt and light, to go and proclaim good news not just with our words, but also with our actions, the good news that Jesus is king. And then uh, that book of Acts is a transition into those Pauline epistles, the letters that Paul writes. The first one is to the church in Rome. It's called the book of Romans. And really, the end here of Acts is setting up the book of Romans. Paul, in these final chapters, chapters 21 through 28, is finishing his third missionary journey. He's returning, traveling all the way to Jerusalem, where he is to be arrested. And then he begins uh, really a continuation of that third missionary journey, now led as a prisoner toward the emperor, heading back to Rome. And, he, and it ends with him in prison in Rome, and yet proclaiming good news and preaching the gospel there among the Jews in Rome. And really that sets up the context for the book of Romans, which is a, a letter about the, the tension and the conflict. It's messy. When you've got Jewish believers in Rome, and you have Gentile believers, and how do we all get along? for the sake of the gospel. And that's really what, what launches the book of, of Romans. But here is we're going to touch on a couple of episodes in these chapters, 21 through 28, where uh, the context Paul has left Miletus, which is the city that he met the Ephesian elders in. We covered that last week. And now he is moving on to Jerusalem as he arrives in Jerusalem. He's preaching in the, in the temple there. He's sharing his testimony. He's dragged from the temple by some Jewish leaders, some, actually some, some Jews from Asia arrive. They stir up the crowd. There's a big mob scene. The Roman officials get involved because they're, they're seeing this uproar. So now the Roman officials arrest Paul kind of for his own safety. And now there's this interchange between the Roman officials and the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders are accusing him of being a revolutionary. The Roman leaders are trying to figure out what's going on. What exactly are you accusing this guy of? And really, it's a parallel to Jesus' own ministry. When you go back and read through the Gospels, you see this pattern of Jesus moving toward Jerusalem. And that's where his crucifixion ends up happening, there in Jerusalem. Jesus also is tried before both Jewish and Roman leaders. A lot of similarities and parallels to what we've just seen in the Gospels. And we see this uh, encouragement and continual presence of Jesus throughout the book of Acts especially in the life of Paul. 
Now, a lot of times we think of the ascension as, oh, that's, that's the end of Jesus. He's, he's drifted off into the heavens somewhere and he's out of the picture. But if you have a red-letter version of the Bible, you'll see those red letters occurring throughout the book of Acts. And time and again, Jesus is appearing just like he promised, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. And we see that true for Paul as in these chapters, in fact, in chapter 22, there's a, uh, an occurrence of Jesus coming to Paul now and saying, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Jesus is appearing to him and encouraging him and setting him on that mission that will lead ultimately to Rome. Paul is appearing before a variety of government leaders. He appears before the governors Felix and then two years later Festus in the, province of, uh, in the provincial capital of Caesarea. Uh, then Festus suggests a trial back in Jerusalem. These guys are trying to keep the Jews happy. Well, maybe we can send Paul back down to Jerusalem. Paul says, ah, I'd rather not go back there where they, tried, they dragged me out of the temple and tried to kill me. And so I appeal to Caesar. Festus says, okay, well now you have to go to Rome because you as a Roman citizen have a, appealed to the highest Roman authority. That's where you're going to go. And that results in a ship ride uh, throughout the Mediterranean, storms, delays, shipwreck on Malta, there's a, an episode there, exciting chapters of the book of Acts. I wish we could dig into it all today. But the, they're in Malta as they are drenched and they've been shipwrecked and washed ashore 14 days without food. Paul uh, goes over to take, take a bundle of sticks and add them to the fire and a, vi- a poisonous viper bites his hand and is hanging there and he kind of shakes it off into the fire. And the, the people of Malta are watching, oh, he, he must be a murderer, he's going to die now, just watch. And they're waiting and waiting. Paul's just, you know, roasting some marshmallows and, and he's, he's doing fine. And then they decide, well, he must be a god then if he didn't die from that poisonous snake bite. But throughout all of the trials that Paul has endured, literal trials, opposition, being dragged out, being shipwrecked, being uh, stretched out to be flogged, being bitten by a viper, throughout all of this, God has been working through Paul's life. And he's been bringing good news to people all along the way, people on the ship, fellow prisoners and Roman centurions, bringing good news ultimately to Rome where he is a prisoner, bringing healing even on that island of Malta, praying and seeing people raised up and being healed. And and the themes that we see in these chapters are number one, a, a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And number two, really this theme of Gentile mission. This is a new concept for these Jewish Christ followers. Because Jesus, you know, he, he had 12 disciples who followed him throughout the land of Judea, and they were from Jewish ancestry, Jewish background. They'd been reading their Old Testaments and looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. And now this thing is going viral. It's going to every tongue, tribe, and nation so that someday all peoples can stand before the throne of God crying out together with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. People from every ethnic background, every skin color, every linguistic, socioeconomic background, that's been God's plan ever since the beginning of time. That was his promise to Abraham. You will be blessed to be a blessing and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed and now we're seeing that happen here in the book of Acts. That Gentile mission is taking off. And really, as we go to the text now, as we go to the book of Acts, 
there's some introspection that we are called to as God's people, as God's Spirit speaks through his word, to ask those questions. Have I counted the cost of God's kingdom mission? Am I willing to suffer? Am I willing to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And really, what are you willing to endure? Our, our nation, uh, when you talk about suffering and hardship, that's not a popular theme, is it? We're all about comfort. You know, drive the most luxurious comfort sedan that you can with all the amenities. Have a nice, comfortable home in a comfortable neighborhood in a really good school district. You know, have the convenience of things delivered to your door and instant food that is readily available and plentiful. So when we see the story of God's people being willing to endure suffering, being willing to go without, being willing to leave home and to leave comforts, this should challenge us, cause us to ask that question, what am I willing to endure for the sake of the gospel? Let's take a look at uh, one of these episodes here in Acts 21, beginning in verse 10. This is uh, one of the instances in which there's a a premonition, a foretelling of what is to happen, the, the suffering that Paul is to endure. The Holy Spirit has been speaking through a variety of sources, and in this case, Paul is at the home of a man named Philip, who has, we, we learn, has four unmarried daughters who prophesy. It's a pretty awesome household. And, and so Paul is there at, at Philip's home, And here arrives on the scene a prophet named Agabus who comes down from Judea. So we pick it up in verse 11. Coming to us, Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. This is really reminiscent of the Old Testament prophets who would enact their prophecies. Like there's some bizarre things that, for example, the prophet Ezekiel did, laying on his one side for 300 and some days, rolling over and laying on his other side. And all as a part of enacting the prophecy, this is what Agabus is doing. Takes off Paul's belt, uses Paul's belt to tie his own hands and feet together, and delivers this message from the Lord. Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, now this is Luke, the author of the book of Acts speaking, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. It's one thing if you have heard from God speaking to you, giving you a difficult message and saying you're going to endure hardship. It's another thing if all the people that you love, all the fellow believers that are around you are going, don't do this. And that's the situation that Paul finds himself in. So the prophet has come and said, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be arrested and handed over to the Gentiles. And Paul's companions and the believers there at Philip's home are are begging him and urging him, saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered in verse 13, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. So despite knowing, you know, having a revelation from God, this is what is going to happen, something bad. At the end of the story, Paul and Luke and all the companions resolve, let the will of the Lord be done. 
even if it means enduring hardship and suffering, and even if this is the path that God chooses to use to bring good news to the Gentiles, not the plan that they would have come up with, not the plan that we would have come up with, but definitely the plan that God had in mind. So if it were you and I, we'd probably, you know, what, what's some kind of a way we could reach the Gentiles in Rome and yet preserve our own safety and comfort? And really, that's what we see the, uh, the early believers doing as well. Paul, don't do this. Yet Paul has clearly heard from God. Really, this, this reminds me of, of Jesus' Gethsemane prayer. As Jesus is in the garden, there's weeping. There's crying out to God. There's that prayer recorded in Luke 22 where Jesus says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of wrath, this cup of facing hardship, enduring difficulty. But how does that prayer end? But not my will, but yours be done. That's really what we hear the the believers saying here in this scenario as well. Let the will of the Lord be done. Have we counted the cost of bringing good news? Are we at that place where we as individuals say, I I know what my heart desires, I know what my comfort level is, I know what I feel my bandwidth is, and yet I feel God's directing me into this dangerous path, this path that will require courage, this path that requires taking a risk, this path that requires venturing out into the unknown. And I don't think this is just of my own heart because my own heart would say, pick the easy path. I really feel like this is God leading and directing. Do we get to that place where in our prayer, we pray, we pray like the believers did, Lord, let your will be done. And they collectively get ready, gather up their things and head toward Jerusalem where this prophecy is fulfilled. The good news is that although we don't have that ability to see into the future, we serve the one who does. God knows your future. He knows your today and your tomorrow and your next week and your five years from now. And it's great to be strategic and to have a five-year plan, but always submit that to the Lord and say, not my will but yours be done. And then entrust yourself to him. The, the good news also for Paul here is that Jesus is the one that gives you the courage you need. It's not that you, guys, it's not that you man up. Ladies, it's not that you, what, what do ladies do? Woman up, okay. It's not something that you just dig down deep and find within you to have the courage to follow wherever God leads. It's a gift that God gives you. He calls and then he equips. He directs and he empowers by his Holy Spirit so that we are enabled and empowered and emboldened to be witnesses because of his spirit alive within us. One example of this in Acts 23, fast-forwarding a little bit into this story, as Paul is continuing this journey ultimately toward Rome, Jesus appears to him in, in chapter 23, verse 11, and he says, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And it's a reminder that Paul, back in Philip's house, back when Agabus came with that uh, prophecy accompanied by a a very visual image of that, taking your belt off and all that symbolism and, and imagery, yes, I was speaking to you. Yes, I was calling you. Yes, I was leading you to Jerusalem. Yes, there has been hardship that you've endured. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up hope. I'm still at work 
count your blessings. There's more suffering to come, but there's more good that comes along with that as well. There's joy that comes with that suffering. And Jesus gives Paul the courage he needs, and he gives that to each of us as well as we are faithful to follow and to obey. Why don't we take a minute uh, and just pray for each of our hearts. Maybe today you're saying, I need some more courage. I don't often think about counting the cost of spreading the good news wherever God calls us. Let's bring that with humility before our king today and invite him to give us the courage we need. Can we do that together? Lord, we thank you for the work that you did through a willing servant in Paul. Thank you, Lord, that even when he knew what was to come, he was willing to follow and obey. We thank you for his companions that though their hearts were breaking, though they were weeping and discouraging Paul from going to that place where suffering would come, they collectively had that heart that said, Lord, not our will but yours be done. And thank you that you're the one that gives courage and strength. You're the one that empowers and enables. And so we come to you with humility saying, God, help us to forsake the comforts of this life to follow you wherever you may lead. And Lord, to pray that prayer of honesty that expresses our thoughts and desires but then submits them to you and says, your will be done. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. What we see in Paul is that as he is faithful, God rewards that faithfulness with increased responsibility. Now, that sounds great, right? Uh, how many of you would say, yeah, you would like increased responsibility? Uh, nobody raised your hand. It's because you know, you know where the book of Acts goes, right? So that, that reward and responsibility, they go hand in hand. So if you take no risk or if you are unfaithful, you don't get that new opportunity, that greater responsibility placed on you in God's kingdom. Instead, you kind of stay spinning your wheels in that same place until God works out what he, what he needs to in your heart. But the excitement comes as you are faithful, as you are obedient, as you take the risk and step out in faith, and then you see God pour out his Holy Spirit upon you to empower you to be a witness. As you see Jesus bring the courage that you need in that moment. And God says, you're a willing vessel. You're, you've been faithful in little things and now, I will entrust you with greater things for my kingdom. And that's what we see in Paul's life, that uh, time and again on this journey, God is increasing the scope of his influence because Paul is not preaching about Paul. Paul is preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets opportunities to stand before the leaders, both Jewish and Roman officials, to go to synagogues and to city streets to proclaim Jesus. The temptation as we go proclaiming, is to present part of the gospel and leave out other parts. We see that, that challenge for Paul in a couple of episodes that we'll take a look at now. One is before Felix in chapter 24. Let's read about Felix. Verse 22. Felix is a governor, Roman official. Paul, Paul appears before him and now, you know, so the Jews are coming and bringing accusations. Felix is trying to sort out fact from fiction, trying to decide what to do with this Paul who the Jews are accusing of being a revolutionary. And it says here in verse 22, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, the Jewish leaders, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. So he's trying to appease the Jews, delay them. 
But we, we, we see a very interesting thing right here about Felix. He has a very accurate knowledge about the way. What's the way? Well, it is coincidentally the name of our church. Where do we get that from? It, it's a, a self-title that Jesus takes for himself. In John's gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In the book of Acts, the way is one designation for the followers of Jesus. And so Felix understands he's a very accurate knowledge about Jesus and his followers. He knows about this Jesus of Nazareth. He knows about his life, death, and resurrection. He's got a very accurate knowledge of the way. So he has that head knowledge. And then he puts off the Jews. He says, just let's delay, let's wait, and then I will decide your case. So then in verse 23, now he's creating favorable circumstances for Paul. He gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So despite the fact that Agabus' prophecy has come true, Paul has been bound, he's now making this trip toward Rome, yet he has freedom to continue to minister. God's church is being built up. His friends are coming to him, meeting his needs, and there's ministry still happening. Now in verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, the Roman governor has an accurate knowledge about the way. Now he's inviting Paul to come and share with him the gospel part of the gospel. He wants to hear the part about faith in Christ Jesus. Now we get, we get a little glimpse into Felix's heart in verse 25. As he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Quite a complex person here, right? So there, there's a lot of, you know, uh, the good column and the bad column on Felix. On the good column. He has a very accurate understanding about the way. He's inviting Paul to come and speak to him concerning faith in Christ Jesus. Those are good things. In fact, he's inviting Paul to come and speak with him frequently. But on the not-so-good category, we have Felix being very alarmed by aspects of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, particularly the parts that have to do with righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. In addition, he has some ulterior motives mixed in. Where every day that Paul comes and speaks to him about faith in Christ Jesus, he has a handout. He's saying, you know, there could be a way that we could kind of make this Roman trial go away. You know, how about grease the palm a little bit, Paul? And it seems that despite two years of meeting with Paul and hearing the good news of Christ Jesus, it never goes beyond head knowledge for him. It never gets to his heart. 
It never gets to that place where obedience and faith are combined. And Felix is going after a kind of faith sans obedience, where it's just faith and there's no follow-through. It's just a profession and no confession, no yielding of a heart, no surrendering, no saying, Jesus, when I've kneeled before you and proclaimed you to be Lord, now there's some follow-through in my life where I'm surrendering to you. There's a repentance and then a living out the repentance that's required. And this is such a, a, a fine tension that we battle with and struggle today. When we parse the gospel into two pieces, there are those who are really excited about the obedience part. And that turns into a, a gospel without Jesus. It turns into a works-based salvation. And there's a lot of religions of the world that have this, where there's this scale, right? And hopefully someday your good deeds will outweigh your bad and God will look at you and go, hey, congratulations, you have been justified of your own effort. But we have to, we have to reject that lie. That's not the good news. That's a worldly religion based on works. But really, Felix had another religion which was an accurate knowledge of the way and the part about faith in Christ Jesus. He was okay with anything at an intellectual level Anything theoretical, the faith alone part with no obedience combined. And Paul is preaching a full gospel that has obedience and faith combined and obedient faith where there is all the work accomplished by Jesus and then we as his people faithfully following after him and obediently walking with him and being willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow. And that's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming. Good news that includes some bad news. Yeah, we don't, we don't like the bad news, right? But you think about how really you can't have good news without bad news. It's, it's an incomplete message. If in your wedding vows, all it was was richer, better, health, as long as we live, but you didn't know the flip side of that, how prepared would you be for that day-by-day faithfulness and obedience that you need to be married for 50 or 60 years or 70. You know, it's, it's a, a, a pledge to the good and the bad in richer, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. So for as long as we both shall live, the implicit message there is there is death coming and there is bad news. And really, the good news that Jesus saves sinners is not really good news unless you know the full bad news, that there is a creator God, that his holy standard is perfection. The bad news that all have sinned and fallen short of his standard, that the wages of sin is death. So this is the hopelessness, the despair the reason that Jesus is the answer, the reason that Jesus brings hope, the reason that we receive that gift of salvation because we need to be saved. And then it becomes good news when we hear the news that Jesus paid it all on the cross, that his shed blood has paid the price for our sins, that because of the work that Jesus did, God looks at us and declares us not guilty. It's good news and it makes sense because of the bad news. And yet here, Felix, he wanted a partial gospel message and if Paul would have just delivered that he could have been freed from his chains think about that have you counted the cost 
of bringing good news, the full message of good news. Paul spent two years in prison because he insisted on preaching the whole gospel message, including the parts about self-control and righteousness and coming judgment. Felix was alarmed by that and he kept him in prison for a while longer. And yet Paul was faithful to continue to proclaim. Really, we see a similar story happening at the end of this book of Acts in chapter 28. Now, as Paul is arriving in Rome and he appears uh, before some Jews who come to his house, some Jewish leaders, and he's uh, reasoning with them and he's expounding to them the gospel message from morning till evening and he's testifying to them about the kingdom of God and he's trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And we see a a mixed reaction. Some are convinced but others disbelieve. And then we hear a part of his message now where he's proclaiming the hard truth of the gospel. Quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Paul says this to his Jewish audience in Rome. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now, what we found out right before Paul quotes from Isaiah 6 is that what happened, the reaction of his Jewish audience when he quotes from Isaiah 6, one verse earlier, it says, they disagreed among themselves and they departed after Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and then he quotes this passage. So it was at this hard truth that his Jewish crowd dispersed. They say, we don't want to hear that. We've read Isaiah 6. We know what that's all about. That is a remnant text. That's talking about the remnant of the faithful. You get to the end of Isaiah 6, there's a, a, a verse about the remnant. The, just like after you cut an oak tree down, that stump that remains becomes a seed. And Isaiah wraps up that prophecy saying the holy seed is the stump. So despite the fact that among God's people there in Isaiah, that first exodus, or that, that second exodus really, from, from exile to Babylon, there was this holy remnant, a, a stump, a seed that remained from which new life could sprout. Have you ever tried cutting down a, a birch tree or an aspen and that thing just keeps sprouting back up again, right? That's the, the uh, symbol that, that Isaiah is tapping into and he's saying, there's still hope despite the fact that there is unfaithfulness and there's some chopping down that needs to occur. There's still that hope of new life sprouting up. And that's embedded within Paul's message to the Jews in Rome. So it is a message of judgment. It's a message of those who have not heard and applied and lived out God's word as it's been plainly brought to them. And yet there is a message of remnant faithfulness, of hope. If you will turn, if you will repent, you can be among that seed, that stump that remains, that God can work with and bring new life. Yet we're seeing a mixed response among the Jewish hearers there. 
Some of them believe, but others disbelieve. And they depart because of the difficulty of this sermon. And then what's the ultimate result of Paul proclaiming good news to the Jews in Rome? We hear the conclusion of this book in verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I wonder, you know, the people that were with him at Philip's house, seeing that prophecy of Agabus, and now seeing the end of the story where he's in Rome carrying out fruitful ministry, albeit imprisoned, albeit awaiting trial. Not a free man, and yet God working in and through him mightily to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to Jews and Gentiles alike. Are we prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel? You know, it doesn't come naturally for us as Americans. We're not uh, building up some resilience and the ability to endure based on our culture. We've got it pretty easy. When you compare how we live today in this country, comparing ourselves to all other nations of the earth alive today, or at all other times of history, you know, we are all among the 1% right here, okay? We are all one percenters just by virtue of living in an affluent time in history, in an affluent country where we have religious freedom. How do we prepare to suffer for the sake of the gospel? How do we get our heart to that place? This is a principle that we learn by Paul's own example in these chapters that we've had an overview of today. The, the journey from Jerusalem uh, to Rome, uh, journey to Jerusalem, the, the time in Jerusalem, those trials that he's endured, the imprisonment, the shipwreck, standing trial, and yet continuing to proclaim good news. And as we proclaim good news, we need to anticipate times of hardship and prepare. There's a passage, actually a couple chapters in 1 Peter. I'll just put up a couple of the verses here that put suffering and hardship in, in good perspective for us today. This helps us to understand how are we to suffer? For what reasons are we to suffer? Verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So again, there, there are two possible reasons for suffering listed here in 1 Peter. There's probably more than two, but in, in, in the book of 1 Peter, you could suffer for doing evil. Later in chapter 4, he could, talks about you could suffer for being a murderer or a reviler. You could suffer because you do dumb things. Or you could suffer for righteousness' sake. You could suffer for the sake of the gospel. You could be slandered because you're proclaiming Jesus in word and deed, and the watching world and the religious hypocrites and the pagans 
whose worldview is threatened by what you are proclaiming are offended, disturbed, like Felix, having that agitation as they're hearing about righteousness and coming judgment, faith in Christ Jesus. And you might get a chance to suffer for that reason if you do rejoice. James 1 tells us, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you endure hardship of many kinds. Count it all joy. Okay? But not the kind of suffering because you did something stupid. Okay? But the kind of suffering that comes when you are faithful and you're following and obeying and God says, I'm going to use you in a way that's going to require that I put my courage within you, in a way that requires that you be filled with my Holy Spirit because you will not be able to stand up under this pressure on your own. You need my Spirit at work within you and my grace being sufficient for you in your weakness. That's a privilege. Maybe you've had that privilege. Maybe it has been costly for you to proclaim King Jesus in your words and in your actions. Maybe there's been some teasing that's come your way, some ridicule, some some shame. And don't let that beat you up too much. But instead, be encouraged that God is choosing to use you and as you've been faithful, he's entrusting you with greater responsibility. He's saying you you can handle it. You've built up some endurance and you're going to continue to walk in my strength and my grace. I can work with a heart like yours. Maybe today as we come to that place of prayer, maybe you're in a place of suffering right now where there's been some rejection that you've endured uh, from a family member, from a coworker, from a classmate. And you're needing a message like this to see how Paul was faithful to continue on and found joy and endurance and saw God work even through that hardship. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today you're more like Felix. And you've been kind of wanting to hear just part of the gospel. The faith part, the intellectual ascent part, keeping it in the realm of theory. And God's calling you today to listen to those parts that require obedience and faithfulness, to walk it out, to live it out. Or maybe you've been tempted to preach a partial gospel message and give people only enough of the truth that will still retain your relationship with them and the friendship and not take that risk of giving them the whole message about sinners needing salvation from the wrath of God available only through Jesus Christ. So whatever category you're in, I'd like to pray for you today for that courage and that grace and strength that God gives. We walk in the footsteps of the early church that we've read about and studied here in the book of Acts And we are on that kingdom mission as well. God has work for each of us to do. Why don't we stand together and give our hearts to him and ask him to work in and through us. God, we thank you for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord, for those of us who are followers of Christ Jesus. Lord, that we have that joy of being on mission from you. Thank you that you direct us in a variety of ways, sometimes through an audible voice sometimes through a prompting of your spirit, sometimes through life circumstances, including hardship. And we pray that no matter how you lead, that we'd be quick to respond and obey, to follow after you. Lord, if we've been like Felix, we repent today. If we've kept our faith in the category of having an accurate knowledge or hearing the parts about 
salvation and faith, but without the obedience, without the denial of self, without the righteousness and self-control. God, help us to embrace the full message of obedient faith. Thank you for the finished work on the cross. Thank you for the joy of proclaiming good news to the lost. God, if there's anyone here today in this room who has not yet received salvation, has not yet accepted you as Lord and Savior, who has not yet bowed a knee and professed faith in you, declared you to be the Lord, then I pray today by your Spirit you draw them to yourself as we've gone to your word together, as we've worshipped you, as your Holy Spirit is here in this room to bring them to that place of repentance where they turn from sin and turn toward God, receive that gift that only you give. And God, as we go this week, send us out on mission that we'd boldly proclaim wherever you call, wherever you lead. Thank you that you go with us in your power. Thank you that you give us the courage we need. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.